wonderful to be approved of and, and who approves of us is our Heavenly Father. ring on your hand. Got a robe on your shoulder. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, are y'all ready for the word? Me too. Boy, we got some good things. The cost of this series is going to be very long. Uh, we're going to move into these different letters that are written. They are letters from Jesus to the church. And Jesus gave uh, a revelation to John in a vision. And John wrote it down. And we have, have it for our benefit here today. Amen? And so because of the length of this message, um, we can't do a whole lot of review. We just need to, to move on. We, um, now, w what I want you to do is see Jesus because Jesus is the message of the scriptures. And as we go through these letters, I want you to see. Now, they're, they're nothing to be afraid of. And when you see them through the, the lens of the cross, um, it's not confusing when you see Jesus. These letters written to the church, they are good news from start to finish. It's, it's not bad news. Some people look at Revelation as bad news or just end times, but it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, we, we have words from Jesus for our benefit. And as, as, as I've said before, they've been hidden in plain sight. And I avoided Revelation for a very long time. I said I didn't need to do, wasn't going to do a lot of review, and here I, here I go. Uh, but we're gonna, <laughs> we left off in Revelation 2.5, but here's what I do want you to see as we go through this. And I encourage you, if you haven't listened to the messages before, go to our Summit Church app and, and catch up because we lay a great foundation for what we're, um, we're building on the foundation that we laid in the beginning by giving you the introduction and, and, and so forth, the background information to Revelation, okay? And so we want you to see Jesus, and I want you to hear his heart because this is Jesus' heart. They are love letters from Jesus to us. Okay, now we left off in, in Revelation 2, 5. Remember... We, that's where we left off. Remember, he wanted them to. Now, this was a, a hard-working church in a hard-working city, but they were working themselves to exhaustion. They had gotten off. They had left their first love, which is not their love for God, but God's love for them. See, they, they, they left the sunshine of his love and got off into the shade. And they're working hard. And they, they, they think they're doing it for the Lord. But yet, uh, they've gotten off. Okay? So, and God is calling on them. Jesus is calling on them to remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And we have three imperatives in, uh, as I shared last week, Three imperatives, that's like, they're like commands in, in this verse. Remember, repent, and do. Everybody say remember. remember. Repent, repent. Do. do. Remember. What else? Yeah. And what? Do. But the first thing is remember. Okay. So, what are they to, to remember? Remember how much they're loved by the Father. Okay? See, they were on this hamster wheel of, of, of works. 
and they had forgotten something. They had forgotten how much they are loved by the Father. And so the next thing he says is repent. Now, repent, re repentance comes after they remember. they got to remember from where they have fallen, and then they repent. Now, repent has nothing to do with coming to the altar and bawling your eyes out and making sure, I mean, just, just or, 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 or trying to, um, like, okay, I need to turn, I, I, need, I just need to cry, I just need to, uh, and, and prove to somebody that I've repented. That's not what repentance is about. Repent, it's a word metanoia in the Greek, it means to change your mind. And I notice the repent comes before, what's the last imperative? Do. So before you do, you need to change your mind. So that lets you know that repentance has nothing to, nothing to do with doing. Simply means to change your mind. Well, repent means to turn around. No, it doesn't. It means to change your mind. Then you turn around. And that's what they needed to do. They need to remember the love that the Father had for them, okay? And then they need to, need to, to change their mind or, or reconsider, think differently than what they, they were so occupied with their work. And they, they become distracted from their source. Okay, so like anxious Mary who was toiling in the, uh, excuse me, anxious Martha who was toiling in the kitchen, they needed to rethink their priorities. I'm preaching here. Remember, well, actually, I, I'm, I'm teaching here, Gloria. There's a difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching is proclamation. Teaching is explanation. You got a lot of hard work in churches. Man, people in church, you're talking about on Mother's Day, man. They're mothers, man. Woo! They will work some women in church. And, and you come away from that, you, you, can, you can get really... Um, some people get their identity from their work. And they come away, man, I did this for the Lord. I'm, I'm working. I'm thinking about a song here, but it's failing me. Yeah, but there's a lot of works songs about how hard I'm working, how hard I'm toiling. But Jesus wants you to recline and rest. Now, there's two different kinds of works, so and we'll, we'll get to that. Aren't, aren't we supposed to work, Pastor? That's not the first thing. Our working should be a response or a reaction of how much he, he loves us. All right. So they needed to put first things first and do the one thing that, that's, that matters. He told Martha that, and you can read that story over in Luke chapter 10, when Martha was toiling in the, in the uh, kitchen and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet hearing his word. And he told Mary, he said, one thing is needed. Martha, you're troubled about so many things. Now, see, you, so, some of you, you think, well, you may be watching, like, Pastor, what are you talking about, man? We need to, we need to go to work. We need, need to put our hand to the plow after all Jesus has done for us. But I, I challenge you to look at that story of Mary and uh, Martha. Martha, it seems like she was doing a good thing. Let me, matter of fact, what if Jesus came to your house? After all that I'm teaching you right now, if I told you Jesus was coming down from heaven, going to be at your house, you you be you leave now probably. I got the, like I'll be there in 50 minutes. You're like, okay, I need to go get the house ready. I need to go make the bed. I, I need to go clean the kitchen. You know what I mean? Like after all this stuff, Amen, Pastor. Yeah, but but like, oh man, we got to prepare stuff for Jesus, and you can forget what He wants you to do. Is just sit at his feet. Thank you, Jesus. I think, man, I tell you what, I put myself in the first row. I'm not preaching uh, at you. I put myself there. Because I can be better with this. 
There's all, how many of you know there's always stuff to do? Man, I'm tempted to just stay right here, but I got, I got so much to get to. Okay, so Jesus told the Ephesians what they were to, how they were to think. Okay, so he said, remember, this is what you need to, this is how you need to think. You need to remember your first love. Then he tells you, then he tells them what to do. Like, do what you did at first. When you first got saved, you just enjoyed his presence, see? So, what brings lasting change? It's beholding Jesus. Everybody say, beholding Jesus. Beholding Jesus. It, it, it's seeing the Lord as our nearest and dearest friend. Okay? And repent where you have fallen. And do the first works. That's not, that's not talking about labor works, like doing all this busy stuff. Okay? So, what deeds? Okay, how do we repent? We change our mind. Okay, what deeds did we do at the first? See, some of you, do you remember some of you when you first got saved and you, you just, you didn't do anything but enjoy Jesus? Before somebody, before... A preacher told you that, man, there's work to do. <laughs> I, I got work to do. I got work, baby. Taking care of business. Jesus, can't you see? All right. Why do I do stuff like that? When, <laughs> when you first entered the kingdom, some of you, you just reclined at his feet. And, and Jesus is saying to the Ephesians, and it's not just for the Ephesians, it's for you. He's saying, do that. Get back to that. Stop trying to give to me and receive from me. That's what Mary was doing. Follow Mary who sat. Don't follow Martha who stressed. Okay? But this is not the recommendation that you're going to get from religious people who elevate works over grace. They say, do what you did at first mean praying, studying, evangelizing with the enthusiasm you had when you first came to Jesus. And through hard work, anybody heard this in church? You might have to go back. Through hard work, we prove our love and maintain our good standing with God. That's the message of folks who elevate works over grace. And I used to do that kind of stuff. But you know what? Beware of this graceless message. The mindless, listen to this statement, a few statements. The mindless pursuit of religious busyness even good works done in the name of Jesus will distract you from the love of God if you're not careful. You'll end up toiling in the kitchen rather than reclining with Jesus in the lounge. The man-made religion of self-improvement. See, this behavior. See, re religion is into behavior modification Jesus is in the transformation. So, but the, this religion of self-improvement says God's blessings are in front of us and, and, and we need to press on to catch up to them. Now listen to this. Now see, see, see that in that message, okay, these, these, these blessings are in front of us. We got we to gotta press on. We got to catch up to them. We got to, you know, pray more, witness more. Do more before we can be blessed. But the greatest psalm, Psalm 23 says, God's goodness and loving kindness or mercy are following us. They're not in front of us. They're behind us. They catch up to us as we pursue him, as we behold Jesus. Woo, hallelujah. We, we become overtaken with blessings. The blessings of God, Deuteronomy 28, said, let me calm down, Pastor. Because I want, I want y'all to get this and, and get this settled. 
Man, y'all get a good education here, man. See, Psalm, uh, excuse me, um, Deuteronomy 28 talks about the blessings of God. What do they do? They come upon you. You don't chase them. They chase you. As you chase him, as you behold him, the blessings come upon you and overtake you. You don't have to pursue blessings, and you don't work for them. They're already yours. The blessings are yours because of Jesus. We, we, we don't have to push on to be blessed. We got to sit down. Huh? What did I say about that song? Goodness and mercy follow you. You don't need to press, press on. You need to sit down. The same song says he makes you what? Lie down. Now, that's what he makes you do. You make yourself work if you want to, but he makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside troubled waters. Oh, still water, y'all listening. Still waters. That don't sound like toiling to me, does it? I want to push through this, but you know what? I don't need to take my time because this, what you're hearing right now, you think you hear this in most churches? Work and work, work. Remember car wash? Some of y'all old enough remember. <laughs> so, look, Pastor, should, should, should we not work? See, y'all think I just, just make up. I, I didn't prepare these songs. The Lord give me these songs. You know the Lord knows them songs like car wash and I got work to do. The Lord knows all them songs. Amen. I, I don't think he's playing them in heaven, but you never can tell. They might have an Isley Brothers section. You know, God has fun. The Bible says he who sits in the heaven laughs. I mean, we've got to get away from this picture of God as just a mean bully, and he's a mean bully, and he's just always frowning. He's always looking down and ready to pounce on you when you make the least infraction. One of the biggest problems, might, may, maybe the biggest problem in the world is, is a wrong perception of God and who he is. God laughs, man. He who sits in the heaven laughs. It's like most people, they put a, put a frowny face on him. They put the frowny emoji on God. He's a happy God, man. And see, that's perception. That's why they get mad at people like Joel Osteen because he smiles all the time because they think, man, you can't just be smiling all the time like that. People think you need to just fire these darts of con condemnation at people. That's what happens every, every Sunday, man. Mother's Day, they might get a break, but they get right back to the work next week. So should we not work? No, see, there's two kinds of work. There's the kind that uh, the apostle Paul did. And, and, and see, Paul said, look, listen to this. Now watch this. Now some people miss this. They stop. He said, I labor more abundantly than them all. I don't have time. I'm going to just refer to some scriptures. You can look them up. Because if we went to all these scriptures, we, we'll be into 2020 with this message. But um, Paul said, I labor more abundantly than them all. And people, they just run off. Huh? Like Tennessee Tuxedo. And when they, they go to Mr. Whoopi. Amen. Gloria knows what I'm talking about. Mr. Whoopi, would, I mean, they get stuck with something. And they go to Mr. Whoopi. Mr. Whoopi would have the answer and he would explain it to them. But then he wasn't finished. And they got so excited about what he had said, and they thought they got the answer, and they go running off the, out the door. Yeah, Don look at me like I'm crazy, like, what's he talking about? You can go back and look at those old cartoons, you know, but, but he had some more to say to them, but they went off. See, so don't run off when Paul said, I labor more abundantly than them all, and preachers run off and they stop. No, he said, he, but he goes on to say, yet not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
Paul is the one telling them it's not by your works. By grace you've been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Yeah, pastor, that's about salvation. But after you get saved, then you got to get to work. The honeymoon is over. No, the marriage is the honeymoon. The, 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 this, the whole thing is about resting. No, no, no. You, 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 you've, got to, you've got to get to work. No, Paul said, um, I labor more abundantly than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It's not just for salvation. Actually, if, if you look at... Um, is this, I can't recall where it is right now. Um, I think it's Colossians. It says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. I just told you how. By what? By grace through faith. As you receive Christ, so walk in him. So you receive Christ by grace through faith. You just receive thank you. That's how we ought to walk in our Christian life. Our response is thank you, Jesus. And boy, now you're empowered to labor more abundantly than them all. Thank you, Jesus. And, and so that's one kind of labor by the grace of God. What these Ephesians were doing was the kind of work that wears you out and distracts you from the love of God. So here's the difference. Paul's labor was a response to the love of God. He said in, in 2 Corinthians uh, 2.14, he said, it, the love of Christ compels me. See, okay, there's the secret to how he worked. It was, it was a response to God's love. He said, the love compels me. I mean, he traveled the, the world like a man consumed. I mean, he established churches, planted churches, um, he had it. He had it. He just, it was like fire shut up in his bones. He had to tell people about God's love because he would burst if he didn't. He, he said, woe unto me. He, he was compelled to preach. He said, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. But he did it out of love. See, two people side by side, one can be working and, and wearing themselves out. See, that's an indication when you're tired and you're worn out and burnt out, that's an indication that you've left your first love. But then when you whistle while you work, you know, so you're resting while you're working, see. That's the, that's the kind of work we should do, compelled by the love of God. So, um, it's Acts 19.11 where, where God wrought special miracles through the hands of Paul. You know what church that was? That was the Ephesian church. So they were known in the beginning for extraordinary miracles. But a generation later, they were known for their hard work. Okay, so let's look at Ephesians 2, 5. Let's go a little bit deeper. Thank you, Lord. Are you getting something out of this? Okay, remember from where you have fallen, okay, so you remember, then you repent, then you do. Now watch this, okay. Hang on to your seats right now. Don't let this scare you. I'm going to explain this. People read into, into this kind of stuff, and this is what scares the mess out of people. Um, remember, repent, do, or else. Everybody say, or else. This is when people start getting nervous. I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you, there's the word repent again, unless you repent. So the question is, what does it mean to remove a, a lampstand? One translation said he'll take it away. 
Now, this doesn't mean he's going to blow your candle out. It doesn't say that. didn't st- say he would ex- extinguish them or, uh, I banish you. <laughs> he didn't say that, okay? A, liter- a literal reading of these words says, when he says remove, a literal reading of this uh, verse is he will move them out of their place. He's not going to snuff them out, all right? Change is coming is what he's saying. If the, if the Ephesians don't change, Jesus will change them. Now, this is not a bad thing. He didn't say he's going to punish them. See, people read that into that. He didn't say he would uh, uh, extinguish them. Okay, picture like a loving husband. I mean, they had intimacy in the beginning. I mean, they had sweet, good times together, intimate times where they would um, fellowship with one another, but she got distracted by her work on her job. She's working 100 hours a week, sleeping in the office. Some days not even not coming home, sleeping in the office, and um, exhausted, just burnt out. And and so, and, and but, but she says she's doing it for the family. She's doing it to make a, a better life for her children and and her husband. So she's got to just got to keep doing it, keep going after it, keep going after it. You know, there's people like that, right? Never leave the office. Buried in their work, but they're exhausted to the point of burnout. Picture a loving husband coming on the job and sweeping her off her feet and taking her home, carrying her away, and if necessary, selling the house and moving to another city. See, he'll gladly give up everything for her. So this is the essence of what Jesus is saying. I'm coming to you. If, if you don't remember, if you don't, if you don't change your mind, I'm, if, if you don't return to your first love, your first love is going to come to you, sweep you off of your feet. See, th- this is sweet relief for the weary who can't find their way home. So what would Jesus do? He'll take them to a quiet place, like in, in Mark 6.31. He said, come away with me, he told the disciples. Because, you know, they were busy. They were doing a lot of stuff. They were healing the sick, raising the dead, cast out demons. Thousands were coming to him. He was multiplying the fish and the loaves. Just, just, I mean, a lot of demands upon Jesus. But Jesus would tell them, he said, like, look, let's come away. Come with me. You can look at this in Mark 6.31. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Everybody say quiet place. And get some rest. He's saying the same thing to the Ephesians. Come away with me. See, the invitation was there, but the Ephesians had to respond. If they did nothing, the Lord who walks among the lampstands will come to them and lead them himself. Now, oh, Revelation 2.6, let's go a little bit further. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, the, 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 Nicolian, the Nicolaitans, we'll talk about them a little, little later. See, they were... Um, false apostles. And uh, we'll talk about them a little bit later when we deal with the uh, next church. But it says that, it didn't say, even with false apostles, he doesn't hate them. He hated their deeds. And this, do you know this is the only time in the scripture where, where Jesus says he hates something? And so, so what, what, what did they do to, to um, arouse the Lord's hatred. We'll deal with this, as I said, in the, the next church. Now, in 
Y'all still with me? And yeah, and Revelation 2.15, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. We'll get to that later, but one, let's go to verse 7. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, let's deal with that statement um, because that, that's one of uh, Jesus' favorite expressions. He that has an ear to hear. Um, you know, it's possible to hear the words of Jesus and not hear what the Spirit of God is saying. We need to know what the Spirit of God is saying um, to us, to, to the church, to Summit Church. So, it, it, listen, if you read the Bible and come away with a list of things that you must do to earn God's favor, see, you're not hearing what the Spirit is saying. You're, you're receiving earthly wisdom based on a human understanding. But if you come away, if, if you come away with the revelation of Jesus, who he is and what he has done, then you've got, you receive not earthly wisdom, but what? Heavenly wisdom. You've heard what the Spirit is saying because the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. What stops us from hearing the Spirit? An unbelieving heart. Okay, so how are you hearing this message? I mean, are you hearing it like, well, you know, I, I, I don't know about that. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And I think that, that we've got to, we've got we to gotta do things in order for God to be pleased with us. That's not what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches because We need to read the Bible again through the, the, the lens of the, the cross, the finished work, because the Holy Spirit is going to point you always to Jesus, he, because he is the message of the Scripture. The Holy Spirit's not going to do anything that Jesus wouldn't do. He was sent to take Jesus' place. The Holy Spirit will always seek to reveal Jesus. See, see this, this, is how, this is how to know that we're hearing what the Spirit is saying. Okay. Any message you hear, is it pointing to Jesus? I don't care how much a preacher hoops and hollers or how many degrees are, are behind his name. Does the message point to Jesus? Does it focus us on, on is it telling you what you have to do to get God to accept you and to love you and to favor you? Or is the message telling you you're already favored because of what Jesus has done on the cross? All right. If, if you read these letters and, and these letters to the churches, if you come away feeling condemned or proud, <laughs> you've missed what the Spirit is saying. But if you come away praising God and, and being established in the grace of Jesus, then you've heard what the Spirit of God is saying. And, and see, these messages for the Ephesians and, and all these messages to the seven churches, they're not just for those churches. They're for us today. Jesus is, he is the leader of the church with a capital C. The church with a capital C. Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church. So his words, these words in Revelation, are for all churches. So it's a mistake to think that wandering from Jesus is just an Ephesian problem. Every worn-out believer needs to hear from the Lord among the lampstands. 
We need to hear what the Spirit is saying through these letters. Oh, man, I couldn't wait to get to this. He who has an ear to hear, let, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who what? Y'all still, y'all awake? Okay, so to him who what? Overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the, of the paradise of God. Now, some people, they, they, <laughs> they think that, okay, man, now you got to make sure you overcome. And they look at this as a work. It's like you, if you, if you want to eat from the tree of life, you got to make sure you're an overcomer. And these are things that you got to do to be an overcomer. No. Who overcomes? Now, now, don't take my word for it. Let's look at it in the scripture. Everybody say, who overcomes? Who you? Say, I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. You know why? Because you believe in Jesus. How many of you believe in Jesus? You're an overcomer. Isn't that easy? Isn't that amazing? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, In each of these seven letters, at the end, there's a, a promise connected with overcoming. But we need to know who the overcomer is. See, because some people look at this and like, well, okay, well, well, how do I overcome? What happens if I don't? It is, is, is Jesus saying I can lose my salvation? This is a very important question. Is Jesus saying, I, 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 I can lose my salvation if I don't pass this overcoming test? Okay, let's look at this carefully. <laughs> now, listen to this. Some define overcoming as a list of things that you must do. You got to, now, now, say amen or say something if you've heard these in churches. You've got to prevail in life's trials, disarm spiritual enemies, conquer every sin, resist temptation, walk in daily victory, defeat the devil. Do these things to your dying breath, and you will earn the right to eat from the tree of life. Drop the ball, you'll be toast. Anybody here heard any form of that? This is the kind of thinking that leads to stressed out, overworked Christians such as uh, the Ephesians. And, and I told you, Revelation is good news from start to finish. These letters to the churches are good news from start to finish. What I just described to you, does that sound like good news to you? Huh? Oh, does it? That's, that's good news? You want me to read that again? See, the word overcome is a verb that means to conquer, prevail, or get the victory. <laughs> so, listen to, listen to this. You, you overcome because you believe in Jesus. Who is an overcomer? Okay, so... It's you because Jesus is an overcomer. Now, Jesus said in John 16, be of good cheer. This is why you're an overcomer. Be of good cheer because for I, not you, I have, you are an overcomer, but you're an overcomer because I, Jesus, has overcome the world. And we're identified with him. Thank you, Jesus. Hang on, I got a word for the mothers. I got a word for everybody. But I got a specific word today uh, as I was meditating on this stuff for the mothers. Okay, now watch this. Um, be of good cheer. Don't be sad. Be of good cheer. A lot of folks sad when they read that verse because they read it through with religious eyeglasses. But, you know, well, he who overcomes. Man, I got to make sure I'm an overcomer. Man, if I'm going to eat the fruit of the tree of life, I got to make sure I'm... Man, how, how do I know? Am I, over, am I overcomer or am I not? You are because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He overcomes.
overcame the world. The devil couldn't tempt him. The law lovers couldn't silence him. Pilate couldn't find any fault with him. Death couldn't keep him. The grave couldn't hold him. Jesus conquered death and is at the right hand of the Father with a name that is above every name. So who's an overcomer? You are because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. You can't be one with the Lord and be an overcomer any more than you can be one with the ocean and not be wet. You are from God, little children. First John 4, 4 says, jot that down. Because greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. You've got the overcomer in you. You're walking around as an overcomer because the overcomer lives in you. This is not a promise of a future reality, but a statement of present fact. You have overcome because the overcomer, Christ, lives in you. You're an overcomer because Jesus makes you so. You, you say, well, you know, I don't feel like an overcomer. Well, you are, no matter how you feel. When you came to the Lord, he made you a brand new creation. You're God's workmanship. You, you got overcoming DNA. And you have this overcoming spirit. You are, you're an overcomer by nature. It's in your genes. So, Every believer is a crown-wearing, tree of life munching, overcomer. <laughs> Amen. In all these things, listen, we are more than conquerors through him, not who we love, but through him who loved us. The word for conqueror, that's Romans 8.37. That word for conqueror is the same word for overcomer. In Christ, you are more than an overcomer. What does that mean? I, I, I love to use this example um, of the prize fighter who trains for nine months for a heavyweight championship bout. And he's going to fight for the, to be the champion of the world. He trains, he jump ropes, he, he spars, he hits the bag, he, he runs early in the morning for nine months, has a special diet, and then comes time for the fight. He gets in the ring, and he knocks his opponent out, unanimous decision. The clock stopped. Did the clock ever start? Okay. Okay, so he wins the fight. He knocks him out. They hold up his arm. They give him the belt. He's a conqueror. He's, a, he's an overcomer. He's a champion. Then they hand him a check. He hands it to his wife. He's the conqueror. She is more <laughs> than a conqueror. That's what Jesus has done for you. He conquered the enemy, and we are more than conquerors. Now, what does that mean when it, when it, when it comes to the things we, on a, as we walk, as we work out our salvation? I mean, as we, in our daily walk, what, is, what does that actually mean? Um... See, see, Jesus, the overcomer, has done the hard work. Our part is just to receive the benefits and say, thank you, Lord. Now, the, ident the identity of a conqueror comes from a conquered enemy. Think about this. Anybody, anybody remember, old enough to remember Buster Douglas? How do you remember? What, what, what did he do? He beat Mike, Mike Tyson. So you associate him with a conquered enemy. His conquest, you, you associate him with a, a, a conquered enemy. 
you see. Now, there are, are, are people that identify themselves with an enemy that Jesus conquered at the cross. You've heard people say, I am a, I am a, I'm a what do you call it, a, a, a sex, a sex addict or a, a alcoholic, I'm an overcoming alcoholic, what do, they, what do they call it, recover, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm looking for, got stuck there, you know, somebody pulled a plug, okay, so, <laughs> I'm back now, all right, so, so, a, re a recovering alcoholic, or I'm a recovering drug addict, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a recovering sex addict, I'm a cancer survivor, what they're doing is they're identifying themselves with a conquered enemy, but you are more than a conqueror. Don't say I'm a, like, like if, if you're battling those things, don't, the way you overcome is not identifying with those things, calling yourself a recovering porn addict. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You identify with who you are in Christ. You are more you're not a conqueror. You don't identify yourself with a conquered enemy. You are more than a conqueror. Jesus defeated the enemy for you, and now you are more than a conqueror, rooted and grounded in love, Ephesians 3.17. You're grounded in the love of God because you're more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves you. Oh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. You're not a recovering alcoholic. You are a, a son or a daughter of the Most High God. That's 1 John 3, 1. What manner of love? It's the love that we're grounded in. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called a recovering? no. A child of God. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Isn't that good stuff? Yeah. Woo, man, goodness. Here's the word I got for some others. I think we'll just leave it right here. Mm. Let's go a little bit further. How many give me one more minute? <laughs> man, I know we got Mother's Day dinner going on. We're, we're going to, we're going to, get you in that restaurant before the Pentecostals. We won't, we, we're not going to beat the Baptists and the Lutherans. They're there already, but they might be done eating by the time we get, but you're going to beat the Pentecostals for sure. Okay. Ah, where are we? What do I, I want to? Okay, so. Okay, word for mothers. Some, there, there's some here, the Lord showed me, going to be that are listening today, you are condemning yourself for your past and because of certain kinds of bad habits or addictions, you've overcome them now, but you weren't there for your children in the past and you and the devil is throwing condemnation at you because of what your children are dealing with now and they've got problems and the, the devil is getting you to blame yourself for all that stuff. If you had been there, if you had not uh, done this, if you hadn't got on drugs, or if you haven't been an alcoholic, I mean, you messed up in time past, and you're thinking about that on Mother's Day. No, you're valuable. And all of whatever you did, even if, if, if it was your own mistakes, all your sins have been forgiven. And God doesn't remember them and he doesn't want you to remember them either and as far as your children are concerned you put them in the hands of the Lord and they're going to be all right if you have a, a strained relationship with your children put them in the hands of the Lord cast all your care upon the Lord if, if, if don't don't um, just enjoy your day whether you get a call from your child or not you just lift up your hands and you thank God for your children amen and just believe and rest believe for restoration 
and the Lord will restore. The cross covered that too. And just enjoy your day. Eat yourself a steak or some lobster, some whatever you want to eat. Pasta. Making you hungry right now. Don't define yourself by your past. Don't define yourself by, by what you used to be. Again, you're not a cancer survivor. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Does that help somebody? Thank you, Lord. How, so, just a couple more minutes here. How do we overcome? 1 John <clears throat> 5, 4, and 5. So whatever is born of God. Who's born of God? Anybody born of God? <clears throat> Hello, overcomer. Hello, world overcomer. Whoever is born of God, what? Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? See, combine this with what, with what we looked at in Revelation. See, we are, um, who is he who overcomes the world? But he, fifth verse, but he who worked hard in church. He who studies and every day and prays every day. Serves on the usher board. Or in the choir, it's believing. He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God is an overcomer. See, spiritual warfare for the Christian is not, sh is not about shouting at the devil. It's believing that Jesus is Lord over every situation we face. It's not fighting for victory. If Jesus already won the victory, he's the conqueror. We are more than conquerors, so it's not fighting for victory, it's fighting from victory, declaring that Jesus has already won. Thank you, Jesus. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To he who overcomes, I will give to eat from what? The tree of life. What is the tree of life? I'll tell you that next week. Everybody, everybody be eye closed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us.